0: Welcome to A Minor Detail Radio Podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. You can find me on the web at aminordetail.com and trying to write as much as I can about these races and do the podcast as much as I can, but i uh, been doing a little bit of both. But tonight I have a, a really great guy. He's in my house and he's sitting right next to me. His name is Evan Glass and he is running for Montgomery County Council at large He's one of the 32 candidates, or 33. 33. Wow, 33. And I was talking to Bill Conway last night, and I said, Bill, did you ever imagine the field getting this big? I mean, it's crazy. 33 of you guys and gals that are running. And Evan, you ran last time in 2014. And you were like, oh, man, so close, so close. And then – you he said, hey, I'm going to run this thing again, and then public financing came along, and that was cool. So I'm going to go ahead and welcome Evan Glass to the show. He's a good friend of mine. I think he's great, and I, I will absolutely just admit in full disclosure that I believe that more journalists should run for public office. So welcome, Evan.
1: Hey, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: So I'm under the gun tonight because Evan is a professional journalist, and I feel like that everything that I say, he's probably analyzing me and my interviewing skills. That's okay. Evan will go easy on me tonight. So far, so good. Okay. All right. Well,
1: we got 44 minutes to go.
0: (laughs) It's right. Um, So let's get right into it. In 2014, you ran, like I said, you did come very close. And then here in 2018,
1: um, you started running pretty much last year, right? I officially kicked off my campaign in September of 2017.
0: Yeah. And since then... You've maxed out on financing, public financing, and you've had your 78th meet and greet today. You've been all over the county, and you've been running um, a really diverse campaign in that you're talking about a lot of issues, but then you have very specific issues that you care about, like public housing. That's one of your core issues. And economic development. And it's something that is very personal to me. But let's first start out, let's talk about you as a person and i'm interested in your background talk about where you grew up um kind of how you got into politics and just talk to me about the the first couple of stages of your life Uh,
1: this is my admiral stockdale question who am i and why am i here Yeah, yeah yeah um and so i am originally from long island new york and my parents divorced when I was young. And so it was just my mother and me in our house. Yeah. And my mother worked two jobs to provide for me. She was a bookkeeper by day. And four out of the five weeknights, she worked as a secretary and administrator uh, at a local uh, trade school. And so I was home alone a lot. Yeah. And I watched a lot of television. And this was... When CNN was emerging as a a news leader, it was the time of the first Gulf War, and I absolutely loved it. I was transfixed by it and knew I wanted to do journalism and ended up coming down to Washington, D.C., to American University, studied broadcast journalism and political science and lucked out and ended up working at CNN. And I started off as a researcher, uh, and I should actually say, and I'll tell you this, that I didn't get the job at first. And then a few weeks later, they came back, and apparently the person who got in the job didn't like it. Uh, and I said, I'll, I'll take it, sure. Yeah. You know? um, and 12 years later, uh, I left as a congressional producer, having covered the 2008 presidential campaign, having covered the 2006 and 2010 midterms, which were huge yeah. events. Uh, and my bosses wanted me to go back on the presidential campaign cycle and cover the 2012 Mitt Romney campaign. And I, I just couldn't do it. Uh, all exhausted. Yeah. All the frequent flyer points and hotel <laughs> points, uh, they don't matter when you can't enjoy them. When you're hitting, uh, when you're getting onto the seat of the plane, even if they upgrade you and you're passing out. Yeah. Uh, and the same with the, the hotels. And, but. We just tire I mean,
0: I. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the stress that it has on a reporter and and a journalist covering that from stop to stop, Iowa, New Hampshire, Florida, South Carolina, Michigan, then Nevada. I mean, Evan, that has to be taxing.
1: Uh, I'm waiting for your Howard Dean scream. Yes. Right. <laughs> there you go, right? I mean, and that's what my life was. Yeah. And again, sitting at the front row seat of history is incredible, and, and to be part of something like a presidential campaign, uh, is, um, it's memorable. Uh, and you know, I was also in the house of representatives in the chamber in 2009 when they passed Obamacare Mm -hmm. and I was, you know, in the bleachers, the cheap seats, the, the press gallery above the chamber at 1230 at night or so when Democrats eked it through. Yeah. And, um, that's part of history as well. And so something that you could probably uh, agree with is that when you're a journalist and you're asking questions, sometimes you are less than impressed with whom you are speaking. You're asking very pointed, detailed questions, and people just don't know what you're, the elected officials sometimes don't know what you're talking about. And you're sometimes, at least for me as a CNN journalist, you're powerless to do anything more, to correct them, to provide them with more information, or quite frankly, to share your own thoughts. Uh, and so being a journalist became very stifling in that regard because while I was at CNN, I started getting more involved in Montgomery County, working with my community, forming a neighborhood association, helping build sidewalks, protect trees. And that became my outlet for doing things.
0: When you were a journalist, what would you say is your what would you say your most fascinating interview? Was it with a candidate? Was it with a person? Was it with someone that was a really memorable newsmaker?
1: So there are a few different stories that that are memorable to me while at CNN. One was during President George W. Bush's campaign to pass the federal marriage amendment, um, you know, enshrining one man, one woman banning gay marriage in the constitution. And here I am covering Congress, covering that debate day in and day out and having to interview conservative Republican senators or individuals at think tanks who are telling me that I am a terrible individual, Mm. at least being a gay man, not telling me that Evan Glass, CNN journalist is terrible, but generalized as a person, uh, I mean, yeah, right. uh, That the LGBT community Uh, is less than worthy of various rights. And so I couldn't do anything more than ask them questions. And at the conclusion of our interviews, I'd shake their hand, say thank you, and then i go home. And, you know, between you and me, uh, there's a good – I'm glad that bourbon was created. Yeah. You know, because that was the only outlet I had. That's hard. Um, uh, And probably one of my most favorite stories from being at CNN was in 2008, right after the Republican convention – uh, in Minneapolis, John McCain had selected Sarah Palin to be his vice presidential uh, running mate, and she went home after the Republican National Convention to recharge her batteries back in Alaska, and her first solo trip as the nominee was to Reno, Nevada, and then Denver, uh, Denver, Colorado, and we met her on the tarmac in Reno, went with her to an event, and then we're flying from Reno to Denver on her plane and there were probably 12 to 15 journalists on this very small plane and it was a jet blue plane and you have to remember back in 2008 not every plane not every seat had TVs on them but this right. one did and so because of the time difference because this is the end of August beginning of September we were on her flight when Saturday Night Live premiered debuted. Um, Tina Fey's impression of Sarah Palin. And I was sitting probably five, six rows behind Sarah Palin herself. And all the journalists were watching this and cackling because it was funny. And there was that little curtain, um, see-through curtain. and Did you see her? No. They, she never came back. No one from her entourage came back, which was a recurring theme. She never talked to the media. Yeah. Um, but when a flight attendant walked back, Someone grabbed him and said, "Are they watching?" Yeah, and he said, "Yes." And they asked the second question: "Was what's the reaction?" And he knew better than to answer that. Yeah, but it was surreal to be on this plane with her in this what we now know is a historic comedic moment uh, and and a uh, a breakthrough role for Tina Fey, but surreal nonetheless. I read the book Game Change. It
0: was one of my favorite books, and then I read the second Game Change with um, excellent excellent writers. And I remember watching the HBO movie Game Change. And I remember they they depicted Sarah Palin watching the, the, the Saturday Night Live on the plane. And I remember um, the person who played Nicole Wallace. Terrific. It, I don't know if you met Nicole Wallace. I mean, she's a fantastic Absolutely. person. Yep. And I watched her show on MSNBC um, or listened to it in the car at 4 o'clock. And she has really grown um, as a as a person, as a journalist, um, as a commentator. But – It had to be fascinating. The 2008 campaign was extraordinary to watch, having elected the first African-American president, having watched what McCain did, who I believe is a fundamentally honorable person, and then choosing Sarah Palin, who was the impetus behind the the modern-day Tea Party movement. So let's fast forward to your career. Um, After you left left CNN, what did you get into then?
1: Well, I knew I wanted to leave CNN. And I didn't know where to go. And so I started making inquiries, started contacting communication firms, PR firms. and You could write your own ticket, right? I I had plenty of entry interviews, open interviews. People just wanted to meet me.
0: Could you ever transition
1: to the commentary side
0: from being a commentator journalist? Or was that too much of a a leap there? No, I
1: I was never interested in that. What I wanted to do was continue doing good things. And so I had met with plenty of individuals and firms on K street. Mm. uh, And I realized that some of them were working for individuals, organizations, businesses that I didn't really want to work for, you know, whether it was um, defense contractors or pharmaceutical companies or uh, oil producers, they paid well. Yeah. uh, But that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I ended up uh, finding a small firm that did mission-driven work. And most of the time that I was at that organization for about a year and a half, I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs and I created uh, marketing and media strategies for veterans to learn about the healthcare benefits that they deserved. Wow. And it was wonderful, Uh, you know, meeting with veterans, learning what they liked about healthcare and VA and how we could encourage more people to receive the benefits that they honorably deserve. And, and it made me feel good. Wow. That, that would have to be rewarding.
0: And I was talking to another candidate today down in Silver Spring, Julie Verardi, And we she was, she had worked in a small business capacity with veterans as well. And they, you know, and I work for a veteran owned and operated company here in Rockville. And I got to tell you, it is rewarding work. We talked to a lot of veterans day in and day out and some of the most interesting just fundamentally decent things that I have done in my life, and it is it's it's great. And now um, you're in the. Are you currently the executive director of the Gandhi Brigade?
1: I am. For the last four years, yeah, I have been leading a small nonprofit organization called Gandhi Brigade Youth Media, mm-hmm. and we operate free after-school programming for middle school and high school students throughout Montgomery County, and we teach them digital media, videography, graphic design, digital editing. And we also engage with them about the world around them, talk with them about what's happening at school, what's happening at home, uh, what's happening, quite frankly, down in the White House. Mm -hmm. Most of the kids in the program are immigrant first generation and some are undocumented as well. And they synthesize all of these classes. They synthesize the skills that we provide them with teach them and they produce award-winning documentaries and public service announcements on topics ranging from immigration reform to police accountability and juvenile justice. And uh, it's highly rewarding. Actually, when I was asked if I wanted the job, I said, no. And I was, why'd you turn it down? I I didn't think being a nonprofit executive director for a very small organization was, was on my path. Yeah, Um, But I told them that I would do it on a part-time interim basis and started doing the job and getting the budget under wraps and started expanding our programming and the board of directors asked me if I wanted to do it permanently and I said no. So they started a national search and something just clicked. I saw that there were opportunities that there was a vision uh, that I had for the organization uh, expanding us getting us a permanent home getting our financial situation on on sure footing. Um, And four years later, here I am. We're absolutely loving it. Where is the Gandhi uh, Project or the Gandhi
0: Brigade Youth Media? Where is it based out of in Montgomery?
1: Our headquarters is in downtown Silver Spring. Close to your house. uh, Yes, very close. Uh, I actually used to walk or take the bus there uh, before the campaign started. Hmm. But it is very close to my house. And that was the only location that we had programming when I started. And in the last four years, we have expanded to 10 more than 10 locations through a unique partnership with Montgomery County public libraries. And we expanded into Rockville and Gaithersburg and Burtonsville and Wheaton and Kensington and Long Branch. And we also expanded through some middle school programs as well up through Germantown. And it's a, uh, It's a wonderful opportunity to really be with kids, hear what's on their mind, teach them, uh, and learn from them, quite frankly. Where does your funding come from? Uh, That is a wonderful question. We get about a third of our funding from Montgomery County, uh, from grants and for uh, -for fee-for-service projects. We get about a third from family foundations in the D.C. metro area that support positive youth development. And then we get about a third from general philanthropy, donors, and also within that last third, we have a small portion that we do fee-for-service projects. Mm -hmm. So for every nonprofit, awards, gala, breakfast, dinner, where you see a a three-minute video about the organization and maybe a two-minute video about the honoree that they're giving some award to, we actually produce a lot of those videos for other organizations. And when we're hired to do that kind of work, we actually hire the kids in our program. Wow. Uh, and we pay them $15 an hour to spend their time with us, to learn from us, and to serve as production assistants. To be able to pay it back that way uh, is rewarding again. So here we are,
0: 2018. It's a few days before early voting starts. I believe early voting starts Thursday the 14th. It goes until, what, the 21st, and then it The election is June 26th. So what am I doing here? Yeah, right? So you could be out knock. Well, I think it's too late to knock doors. It's a
1: little too late to knock on
0: doors. When do you typically stop
1: knocking doors at night? Around 8? Now that it is late, uh, it's daylight later. Yeah, around around 8 o'clock is a good time.
0: Yeah, because that's when families are settling in. Some people are eating dinner. And although, I mean, it wouldn't be so bad to have a candidate knocking at my door. Except it hasn't happened because I'm a registered Unaffiliated. There you go. So, you know, I know you've, you've tried to, uh, it's, you know, you've tried to encourage me to switch over, but I'm happy in independent world, but, uh, I can still vote with my wallet.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, and and my own husband was an independent. Jason. Jason. Yeah. was an independent four years ago when I first ran for County council and realized that he was giving so much effort and attention to the campaign and wanted me to win that, he realized the best thing to do would become a Democrat and vote for me. And I, I'll say we're happily married still. Well, he's if, a super dem.
0: If your husband uh, did not switch, I think he would have had some words. So um, let's just say he may have not had a little choice in that. In that well, and, and
1: that's why I said we're still happily married. Right.
0: So, I mean, and as a newly married man, I got to tell you, I listened to the boss upstairs. So. Absolutely. Um, on your website, which is com, you have eight issues listed that you're running on, on the platform for county council at large. And I first want to ask you, what do you think about the new public financing that Montgomery County has I- enacted?
1: I think the new public financing system is fantastic. And I am actually the only candidate Running for county council at large or any other non-incumbent candidate who testified in support of this legislation four years ago, because as a first time candidate, I realized how hard it was. And I realized that most of the money was in the back room or a boardroom and you have to do the secret handshake or make the secret promise. (laughs) And I, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. And what I had was grassroots support. But unfortunately, you can't really win these races with 50 bucks from your neighbor. Yeah. Um, but you multiply that uh, through the public financing system and, and you use the algorithm to match and quadruple or triple those donations. And you can have a sizable influence by having raise some considerable funds. Yeah. And when you match funds, if I give you 50 bucks, it turns into... Uh, A couple hundred bucks, right? So a $200 donation gets multiplied by four. Okay. I'm sorry. A $50 donation gets multiplied by four. So your 50 is matched by 200 from the county.
0: And they write you a, or they send you money into your campaign account. It is
1: wired into your account when you file your report. Yeah. And it's approved. Uh, But a $50 donation gets coupled with a $200 match so $50 ultimately equals 250 mm-hmm. and a $100 donation becomes 450 Wow. And then finally, the maximum allowed under law is a $150 donation, and that becomes $600. Wow. And that
0: – I think the public financing option has enabled just – regular folks who can't write the $6,000 checks to feel that their voice is being heard in our democratic process in Montgomery County. And if I wanted to support a candidate, um, I can give you $50, $100. And that really matters to you. It goes the distance. And that could help you buy literature, could help you send out um, a Facebook advertisement, whatever you need, Um, pay your campaign staff. That to me, Has really influenced how I supported candidates. And I thought, well, I really can, you know, I can't write somebody a $6,000 check. That's just crazy. It's implausible. Um, And some candidates have chosen to use it, some candidates have not chosen to use it. But I think that in this climate, Evan, I have noticed that many of the Democrats are heavily leaning towards. The public financing option. Many of your, um, your your contenders in the race have chosen this so that they could. But first, you have to qualify. That means that you have to amass a certain amount of donors, and I believe it's what 250 to actually um, be eligible to take advantage of the program. And you did that pretty quickly.
1: You need 250 individuals to contribute a total of at least twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and that is the baseline. That is what the county and state would view as being a a credible, viable candidate. And so if you cross that threshold, uh, they will start matching your funds. Absolutely.
0: So, and and of course now you've maxed out.
1: I have. Well, and so I filed a report just this week on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. and we have received the maximum contributions allowed under law, which is $250,000. And that is a result of me having today – my 78th meet and greet. And the average donation is approximately $68 Mm -hmm. uh, to my, my fundraising efforts. And while I am appreciative of the people who gave me $150 or a hundred dollars and had the means what is most impactful to me is the times at at my meet and greets when someone made a five or ten dollar donation. Yeah. And someone who'd never gotten involved in politics before, but they're upset about Trump. Hmm. They want to feel connected to a campaign and to their community. And that's what they were able to give. Yeah. And they know that a five dollar contribution becomes twenty five dollars and a ten dollar contribution becomes fifty, which isn't as insignificant, right, uh, and more importantly, it's meaningful, and those are those are the connections and the contributions i'm 'm humbled by
0: yeah've 've seen it in action i've been to few, a few of your meet and greets, and people have popped in off the street and said, "Well what's this guy all about?" and you have a discussion about issues, and you have talked in depth about housing affordability in fact that 's one of your key issues that I remember very first from meeting you you were, you were extraordinarily passionate about as well as education and transportation. But Evan, why is it that in Montgomery County, it's nearly impossible to move, let's say from another County, maybe from Western Maryland where I came from and you want to buy a, a house here in North Potomac, our neighborhood alone, the house down the street just sold for $750,000. That's it's just unaffordable. You just can't do it. And we have great schools and I know there's a lot of pieces to this formula, but what can we do in Montgomery to make houses more affordable?
1: The the average home value, I believe, is about $430,000, mm-hmm. somewhere in the ballpark of that. And so off the bat, we're starting at a, a, a high average point. Um, the reason prices for housing costs are so high is we live in a desirable community. It's great you know, people move here because they want schools. They want to be on the Metro, assuming it's working. Right. <laughs> um, and, and they want the culture and community that we have here. Um, and that, that has a price to it. And so the reason that housing affordability, uh, affordable housing is important to me. If I'll, I'll tell you my, um, conception story for affordable housing. Uh, and it was when I was in downtown silver spring, uh, living in what's called South Silver Spring, right near where Denizen's Brewery is, mm-hmm. for where if you or others know where that is. Yeah. Um, there was an apartment building that was supposed to be a, a luxury condo, and it came online in 2008, 2009, right when the bubble was bursting. And so this housing, this luxury condo, uh, went into bankruptcy and it changed ownership over the course of a year, multiple times. And I'm walking, passing it, Twice a day to and from the metro. And then about a year later, neighbors of mine contact me as the Civic Association president and say, Evan, we hear it's going to become affordable housing. Uh, Members of the county council contacted me and said, Evan, your neighbors are getting concerned. We just want you to know about this building. And I didn't know anything about affordable housing, I was a journalist hadn't gotten involved in affordable housing issues. And so I called a gentleman named Rick Nelson mm-hmm. and Rick was the head of the housing department here in Montgomery County. And Rick told me all about the project, who was buying it, who was financing it, who was leading the rental of it and keeping up with the maintenance. And I contacted all those individuals and essentially interviewed them, used my journalistic skills. And what I ended up doing was writing a blog post. And emailing that to thousands of my neighbors on our community listserv and essentially said to my neighbors, yes, this building is coming and it is going to be affordable housing. And what that means is this is for residents whose household income is between 30 and 60 percent of the area median income. Um, Ryan, do you know what the area median income is in Silver Spring in the DC metro area? Um, The area the DMV metric. I would say it's what, $120,000. At the time, it was about $100,000. It's now since in the last 10 years or so, went up to about 110. Okay. And that's household. So these are units for households that make between 30 and 60% of the area median income, meaning... They're making between thirty dollars to $60,000, the household. Yeah. And so I said to my neighbors, who don't you want moving into our neighborhood? <laughs> do you want, do you not want the, the new teacher, the recently uh, graduated grad student, the retiree, the single parent? Right. I mean, heck, I, I could not have afforded that when I first got out of college because I wasn't even making $30,000. Yeah. And so I educated my neighbors about how important this project is. And so when time came for the community meeting with all of the stakeholders, not one naysayer showed up to that meeting because I would like to think I took the time to educate them and allay their concerns and fears and explain to them that, yes, we want these people living in our community and walking to the Metro and going to our grocery store. And it was through that process that I learned about Montgomery housing partnership which is the county's largest nonprofit provider of affordable homes. And all these years later, I'm proud to say that I'm currently vice chair of the board of Montgomery housing partnership. And we're helping build more affordable housing throughout Montgomery County.
0: Where are you seeing most people located? Is it up County? Is it, I would say we're in mid County, I would say um, the Potomac area, North Potomac, Gaithersburg. Um, Is it, or is it below the beltway where you
1: live? Most of the uh, most of the affordable housing, where the uh, where more than eighty percent of the building itself is deemed affordable, uh, they're in East County, okay, and Up County. So, like Burtonsville, uh, yes, the Route Twenty Nine corridor, basically from White Oak North has a lot of affordable housing. Uh, Tacoma park has a lot of affordable housing. There's some in Wheaton and then the Gaithersburg Germantown area has a lot. And that said, there are a lot of places where there's not affordable housing. Yeah. Uh, And that tends to be on the Western side of Montgomery County. Yeah, that's,
0: that's exactly right. Um, I mean, and we all know that if somebody wanted to move in Potomac, you have to be wealthy to live there. I mean, it's really extraordinarily wealthy area. I mean, you drive down River Road, I see some monstrosities, and I'm thinking, who lives here? I always ask for that. Like, who lives here other than Dan Snyder? And he has a big gate across his house. But um, I think that this is such an interesting um, concept of – you know, and because we all want – the American dream, Evan, is to own a house. That's, that's just the American dream. We all want to make sure we own a house, consider our kids to school. That they have a great education, and then that we save put some money behind for retirement and be able to live a happy, comfortable life. And this is a great community. And another thing that makes our community so wonderful is our education system. And our kids are so blessed. They go one will be heading off to Wooten High School, great school, great school, yeah. And another will be heading off to Robert Frost, um, sixth grader, and a high schooler. So we got our hands full. Good luck. Um, Yeah, they're upstairs, and I think they're going to bed because they have school tomorrow. They get out. You mean they're
1: not listening to us?
0: Uh, Yeah, right. They're probably watching. about
1: housing policy? Yeah, right, housing policy.
0: Um, What are your thoughts? I mean, there's so many complex education issues, but what's the relationship between the county council and our board of
1: education? So I, I look at our education system, MCPS, for what it is today. And what that is, is a system with 160,000 students that is growing by 2,500 every year. Mm. It is a big system, and it's only getting bigger. And people are moving here because of the schools. Yeah, they are. And so it is an important component to, you know, the the equation that you just referred to of why housing costs are so high, why people want to move here. And and that is a large reason why. Um, But... We were also just talking about the diversity of housing stock, the diversity of neighborhoods and communities. And the reality is the 160,000 students we have, not every child receives the same education. We have some schools that are in disrepair. We have some classrooms that are overcrowded. We have some teachers who don't have the support that they need in or out of the classroom. And then quite frankly, we have students that are coming to school And it doesn't matter how good that teacher or classroom or facility is, they're not in a position to learn because they're coming to the classroom with food insecurity, housing insecurity, economic insecurity. And so these ills and these societal problems that are afflicting this child, um, keep them in a position where they're not prepared to learn. And so that's why when, I look at our school system and my desire, number one desire to close the achievement gap. We have to address all of these different issues. And some of them need to be addressed through the MCPS budget and providing some of the support and providing money for better facilities. But then some of it has to be achieved through our social safety net, rising, raising every child up and their families. And that is partly um, the reason that we have to do affordable housing, and expand some of our our food recovery and food network operations. Um, And so what, back to your question about how I perceive our education system and and MCPS, I I look at it in a holistic fashion because we can't just look at it as the education budget itself. Uh, We have to take a a bigger picture and see how these children, uh, what needs these children have, and how we uh, at the county council and within local government can help them.
0: Yeah, and I think being a journalist, Evan, you can analyze data pretty quickly, and that is a key that is a key responsibility of be, looking at a journalist and being able to quickly discern what the facts are, and then using those facts to make <coughs> make decisions in the future. And you're right, closing the achievement gap, because we know that not every education experience is created equally, and. That's, that's a problem with schools all over the country, but even here in wealthy Montgomery County, um, that's one of my concerns. And I, you know, some of, we're lucky to live in a school district, our cluster where we come from an affluent neighborhood. We, our kids are uh, grouped together with very smart kids. I mean, they're, they're brilliant. In fact, we watched our son graduate from eighth grade and I, I looked at that and I'm thinking, I, I don't even remember my – at the time I graduated, these kids are so far advanced. It's just unbelievable, the technology they're using. And I see Montgomery County as a very progressive, hands-on uh, school district where they're willing to try experimental technologies. That's important because our kids need to be prepared for the 21st century. However, there is a stigma, I feel, that is is pervasive in our school culture that – In order to be successful, you have to go to college. And there's what, how many trade schools in Montgomery County? How many, we're not emphasizing that. We have to understand that that work is quality, valuable work. And I see that we're, what's the average age of a plumber? Like 56? That's to me is very difficult. And I come from a family who worked in the trades and made a living in a small business and an HVAC company, um, And I think we're pushing a lot of kids to go to college when maybe their interest is in the trade. So
1: I don't know. The school superintendent, Dr. Jack Smith, I think has uh, recognized this. It wasn't an emphasis within MCPS for a very long time. And so I think there are processes in place and curricula uh, to to better address this. And, you know, we we have Thomas Edison uh, High School. Uh, specifically to address some of these needs and and have students have high school students learn more about various trades and other vocations that are not necessarily uh, that would not necessarily put them on the path towards college. And for all the reasons you highlighted that there are viable options aside from a a two or even four year college graduation college degree. Let's talk a little bit about economic development, the big
0: the big tamale the big issue has been can montgomery county attract amazon and do we have the right setting is it the right plans and we know that we're on the list and i think we're pretty much at the top of the list and we're like my presumption is that they would consider the white flint territory um it's 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 zoned for that I think they have the space, what it was originally zoned for 50000 and it's like 48000 or so. Um, a lot of pieces of that pie need to come together, include, together, including infrastructure, and we can talk about that in a second. But what's your take on the Amazon deal?
1: So your intel is as good as mine. That White Flint is the location. Uh, you know, the reality is, and I get asked about Amazon quite a lot, the Amazon deal that was offered – was approved by the governor, by the state legislature, by the county executive, and by a unanimous county council. So, those of us who are running, me, namely, um, I had no say in that deal. Mm-hmm. And so, what I, all I can focus on is figuring out what will happen if Amazon accepts that deal. Right. And what I pledge is to be the watchdog to make sure that it's done and fulfilled properly that quite frankly within the billions of dollars that were offered 2 billion are supposed to go to infrastructure improvements and quite frankly this is money that we've been owed for quite some time Montgomery County has gotten uh, has not gotten quite frankly the Revenue and infrastructure spending, our highway revenue. Uh, oh, geez. School spending. There, there's a, there are a bunch of formulas that that need to be improved upon. And if this is how we get the money to do those things, I'll take it. Uh, but the tax breaks that were offered to incentivize Amazon to come here with the prospects of fifty thousand jobs and all these things, uh, I want to make sure that there are clawbacks or I'm hoping that there are clawbacks that if they don't achieve the number of jobs that they were offered or promised, um, that we claw back some of the incentives that were given to them. Right. We need someone who's going to hold them accountable. And that's and, what government does. Uh, well, that's what government should be doing. Um, all too often, you know, whether it's here in Montgomery County or, or elsewhere, but I'll, I'll keep it to Montgomery County, I don't think we've been doing a good enough job of minding the ship of providing that oversight because you know we had the Silver Spring transit center a few years ago and that was a transportation project that got uh, the budget escalated umpteen times uh, and it was supposed to cost you know 25 30 million and, and cost ultimately more than 85 and taxpayers are looking at that and saying what is government doing well right and so and you know what i equate it to is, you know, the purple line. Mm. If we had a 25, $30 million project that escalated threefold, what will a $2 billion project escalate to unless we hold their feet to the fire? And you had talked about public financing before. And I actually think this is a really important distinction. What public financing allows is for people like me who are not accepting any corporate money or any political action committee money to ask all the tough questions because I am not dependent on them to, to replenish my campaign. There's no, no one's hands are in anyone else's pockets. So I will use my power journalistic powers and the ability to ask very pointed questions in front of the cameras and the lights to make sure that Amazon Uh, If they choose to move here, uh, that they are doing what they said that they would do uh, and to make sure that the residents and the community uh, are safeguarded and that all the infusion of money that might be coming from the state or might be coming from Amazon in other ways is used properly. Right. One of the usages,
0: the money would be the infrastructure upgrades, including our roads. And we have to take a serious hard look at the 270 corridor. Between what Clarksburg down to where the split is, and then of course to the Beltway. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I was working over in Northern Virginia, Evan, I would sit on, um, I would set I would take back roads to Potomac to the split, and then I would hit North 495, and then right before the American Legion Bridge, we would just stop, and then I would wait in traffic, and then we would go, we would creep across the bridge, and then once. I was over into Northern Virginia right by the GW Parkway. It would pick right back up. I was fine. I would head out and good to go. So one of the proposals is to add toll lanes on 270. Is that something that you could get behind that the
1: governor is proposing? So let me back up a little bit. So you talked about the American Legion Bridge and the bottlenecking that occurred at the American Legion Bridge. Yes, there is capacity to expand the American Legion Bridge by a few lanes. I'm fully supportive of that. Is it outwards? Is it is it width? Or can they kind of like double deck it? Uh, I, I haven't seen the plan to so that yeah. level of detail. I'm going to presume it's expanding the width. Okay. Not making it double decker. Like the uh, GW Bridge. In New York? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that bridge was constructed that way. Yeah. Right. So, so I don't think it's becoming like that or the Verrazano, right. all those good New York bridges. Yeah. Um, so I, I believe it's widening. So that would alleviate some of those choke points coming down the spur and coming down 270. Um, regarding what else to do with 270, I am open to expanding 270 by mm. a few lanes. Yeah. But – I will only do so if there's a public transportation component associated with it, because what we have seen time and time again throughout the United States and other places around the world is you can't build yourself out of a traffic problem. And so all that will happen if we just keep expanding to 70 is the the developers. And the land speculators in Frederick County will start selling homes saying, look, they're widening 270. You can get to D.C. or Bethesda or Potomac in no time. And that's called sprawl. And that's called sprawl. And by the time those homes are built and by the time 270 is expanded under that scenario, it's crowded again.
0: Yep. And I would also think that we could try a a reversible lane approach as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It, you know, we have to be creative. And I recognize that I'm running for county council at large, and it is a large county. It's 1.1 1. 1 million people. 1.1 1. 1 million people, 500 square miles, and there's a lot of diversity of opinion and thought and uh, lifestyle. And so I want to do right by everyone in Montgomery County, and this is a real problem mm-hmm. that I want to help alleviate. And I mean, part of that too is
0: fixing our metro system. And I know Delegate Mark Corman is working diligently on on that, and, and as well as our state senator here in District 15, Brian Feldman. Um, they're they're working hard to come up with a plan. And I think that in the next four years, we should see um, the red line at least improve. Please, because I am so I'm so tired of you know I don't take the metro. I would take it more often, Evan, to go into the city if it was more reliable. I don't want to be stuck on the metro, especially in rush hour.
1: Uh, Well, uh, I'll I'll share with you that I've heard that part of the $2 billion investment, should Amazon choose to come here, would be dedicated to improving the red line because they're going to White Flint.
0: Yeah. You know, we've talked about a lot of issues, affordable housing, transportation education, Amazon infrastructure. And as we wrap up, what is the one issue that we may not have covered tonight that you have talked a lot about or that you have talked or that is brought to your attention when you're out on the campaign trail?
1: I think the, the question of this day and this election is really about the economic future of Montgomery County. You know, there have been a lot of articles written and a lot of reports shared mm-hmm. with a doom and gloom scenario. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't subscribe to that. I don't think that we are falling off the cliff in terms of the future of our county. But the economic reality is showing us and has shown us for years that we're not climbing up that mountain any higher. We've pretty much plateaued. And so the county council, county executive just approved and and wrote a $5.6 billion budget. And should the national economy stay where it is, that's probably what our budget's going to be over the next few years. Should we hit a recession, it's only going to go down. But we need to figure out what is possible with that $5.6 billion budget and do we want to continue increasing our property taxes to pay for things like transportation infrastructure to pay for things like universal pre-k both i want i want universal pre-k i want uh, better transportation options we just have to figure out how to pay for that and so that is why economic development is is crucially important that we need to bring more jobs to montgomery county and when we bring more jobs to montgomery county we not only increase the tax base so we can pay for the things that we want, but we help some of these problems like traffic. Right. Because right now, everyone's going to DC, they're going to Virginia, and if they're going to Montgomery County, many of them are going to Bethesda because Bethesda is the only economic engine within Montgomery County. And if we had more jobs in Rockville, Gaithersburg, White Oak, we diffuse our transportation. Uh, patterns. And we relieve some of that congestion. And then quite frankly, as a good progressive, we tax those businesses, we reinvest them into the programs that we want, currently have, or to expand. Uh, And for me, that is a viable future moving forward. Yeah. I'm sure you hear a lot on the campaign trail um,
0: about that specific issue. You've been all over the county. You have a few days left. And I think, Evan, that you have run an honest-to-God grassroots ground game, and it says a lot. This is a county that has more people than certain U.S. states, and I can't imagine running an at-large race from the very bottom of the county, what, Tacoma Parks over spring area, to all the way up to Boyds. It's huge. The territory is massive, but I have to give you a lot of credit because you haven't, stuck to what I would call the regional strategy of certain candidates pick out the areas that they're going to target you and, and they say this is where we're going to make our base and this is where we're going to consolidate our support you have done an exceptional job of getting your message out up county mid county all over the county east west and that's important because sometimes i feel as an up county mid county resident that we don't always get the attention that i think that we deserve and from our elected officials, now the elected officials will come up and say hi. Hey, look, they're here in Rockville; it's a 10-minute drive. But I feel you know, we have a lot of down county representatives. That's fine, as long as that they recognize the many issues that we have here in our community. And and throughout our discussions and watching your campaign unfold, um, I, I see you as someone that's hands-on, that's going to hear all of Montgomery County's
1: issues. So. I, I appreciate that. I, you are a, a unique observer of politics here in Montgomery County in the state of Maryland. So so I do appreciate that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I never thought that I'd be involved in politics at this level. I covered politics. Yeah. And, you know, to, to see my picture on some literature and my name <laughs> on signs, you know, in front of people's homes or whatnot, uh, it is surreal. But at the end of the day, I'm in it because I want to get things done. Yeah. And for me, that's what politics is. It's the art of the possible. And I'm running for county council at large, which means I want to help everybody in Montgomery County.
0: Yeah. Well, my hat is off to you. I think that uh, I think you're going to be very happy on June 26th. And that goes with hard work that goes with integrity. And I think you will do an excellent job as one of our representatives here in Montgomery. And I'm proud to live in this community. I love the diversity and that, is so important to our family that our our children are surrounded with the next generation of leaders and you guys that are responsible for local government you're just tweaking things to make sure that we have a better life and as we talked about last night with bill bill conway who's also one of uh, one of the candidates a more perfect union and that's what that is what good governance is all about so evan thanks for coming out on a Saturday, a sunday night I know you're tired, but I really appreciate you doing this interview with me. So
1: Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. And
0: uh, I'll, I'll
1: see some of your listeners at some Metro stop tomorrow morning. Yeah. Which one? I don't know. Okay. Stay tuned.
0: Okay. Stay tuned. Evan Glass running for Montgomery County Council at large. You can find him on the web at evanglass.com. He's on Facebook. He's on Twitter. Tweet at him, Facebook him, message him, get to know him, and give him money. And uh, I would encourage you to – and if you're not registered to vote, well, I think it's too late, uh, or can you register the same day? I don't think so. I don't know. Okay, we don't know, but vote. Just vote. Vote early. You have like a week to do it, and if not, vote on June 26th. And with that, have a great week, everybody, and there will be a lot more to come. Once again, thank you, Evan.